Welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We're, I'm glad that you're watching on the internet. We're, we're going to talk about why. We've been talking about why. Why the why questions? Because they're difficult. And I asked our people to tweet out to me, and you on the internet do the same thing. I asked them to tweet out to why Parkview, hashtag why Parkview, and give me some good questions. Here's a couple of them. Jay Marino said, why do drive up ATM machines have Braille? I promise you, go look. They do. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know how it happens, okay? Uh, Chase said, why do you put your two cents in, but you only have a penny for your thoughts? Where does the other penny go, right? That's a good question. Wooden paddle pizza. Last week I said, why do they put round pizza in square boxes? Wooden paddle pizza said, have you seen our boxes? Let's hear it for the not-too-much-cardboard people at Wooden Paddle. Yeah, that's a throw-out for you right there, huh? Uh, Jordan said, why do they call it chilly when it's hot? That's a good question. Jason, I don't know where you found this, man. Why is this only available in Japan? The bacon potato pie at McDonald's. Can you believe that? I mean, why is that only in Japan? That is a great question. Uh, you know, then uh, uh, Robert sent me this when he said, why not? Bacon-flavored popcorn. That's one of the major food groups right there. That's what I'm talking about. And then Alexa said, well, okay, why is our church obsessed with bacon? <laughs> it's because we're Christians, Alexa. That's why, all right? We're just Christians. Well, here's one. Why do we, somebody sent me this, why do we park in driveways? and drive in parkways. Ah, that's, that's deep, isn't it? How about, why do you press harder on the buttons on the remote control when the batteries are dead? <laughs> Don't you do that? Because I do, I promise you. My favorite one this week, why is phonics not spelled the way it sounds? For crying out loud. Hooked on phonics. Right? We're talking about why, and I'm excited about this because people are asking these questions. Four more weeks after this one, the big questions of religion, the big questions of Christianity. And here's the deal. We are not the only ones that have these questions. This is what I was saying in that intro video. You've got people around you that are asking these questions. So I want you to fill out your communication card and go back and get a DVD and say, hey, come on over. Let's watch this together. You don't have to call it a small group. You don't have to call it Bible study. Just say, hey, come on over or grab one for somebody else and, and give it to them as we can talk through these questions because we want to get everybody hooked into this. Just go back there to the, <laughs> to the, the dude in the Tom Petty hat. Did you see Richie back there in his, in his slash hat? I can't believe this. This place is going to the dogs. Go back and talk to Richie. Get a, get a DVD and, and, and let's, get, let's get you hooked up because your friends have these questions. They want to know what's going on. Next week, I'm going to talk about suffering. All right, Probably the biggest question everybody always has, how could a good God allow suffering? I don't want you to miss that. The week after that, our friend Lee Strobel, who wrote the book that's probably helped more people come to Jesus than any in our lifetime, The Case for Christ, he's going to be here. Again, he was an investigative reporter and an atheist who decided to disprove his wife's Christianity and found out that Jesus was real and wrote the case for Christ. He's going to be talking to us about the case for the Creator and, and the interviews he's done with scientists about creation and uh, you know, not trying to prove creation stuff, just why you don't have to worry about this, this discrepancy that seems to exist between science and the Bible. It's just not there. And then we're going to talk about the Bible after that. So, so I want you to be here for this, all right? Let me take you back to the beginning. This is what I did last week. Mortimer Adler said, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, it is the most important question a person could ask. Why God? Why Jesus? These why questions. It's God question. Because more consequences follow from the way you answer this question than any other. 
I mean, it, it, how you answer why God, how you answer whether there is a God or not, it, everything else follows along the way. And I asked you in the middle of this, you know, to pray, if you don't believe in God yet, welcome, we're glad that you're here, we're all a bunch of imperfect people trying to find our way, but I asked you just to say six words out loud to God somewhere in your life, God, if you're there, show me, show up, just show me. We just got to listen to the voice of God and say, okay, we're here. Now, the, um, the hardest question that I think Christians have to answer is the one we're going to do today. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because our world thinks that, you know, we're being arrogant, we're being exclusive when we say that Jesus is the way. And let me use food as the model today, all right? Just in case you're hungry, let me use food as the model today. Because I've got a problem with food. I don't know if you do, but, you know, if there's, if there's bacon-covered maple donuts in the back room, I'm going to eat them. And I did. Thank you for whoever brought those today. Bacon on a maple donut. Think about it. It's a perfect thing. I, if it's there, I'm going to eat it because I'm not very disciplined. And my real problem problem with food, stay with me, this is my friend Kyle Eidelman's illustration of spirituality, my problem with food is going to the buffet. I never try to go to a buffet because I'm terrible at a buffet. Does anybody have my problem? Okay. Well, when my girls were young, I had the, I think it was a God thing. For some reason, they didn't care about going to Chuck E. Cheese. They only wanted to go to Old Country Buffet. That was their favorite deal. And so we would go to Old Country Buffet, and the problem, with, the problem with the buffet is twofold for me. Maybe it's your same thing. Number one is I have to choose good-for-me food over yummy food. And that's difficult if they're both sitting there together. So if I have the choice between uh, another piece of grilled chicken and some broccoli like I can get at home, or my ham allotment for the entire month, what am I going to eat? And I know I'm not getting mashed potatoes again until my mom comes for Thanksgiving. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anybody's wife make them mashed potatoes? Can I get a hallelujah? All right. When mom comes, I'll get mashed potatoes again. So I'm going to eat the mashed potatoes. They are a vegetable. Don't forget that. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put, I'm going to put dark gravy on the mashed potatoes that I'm eating with the roast beef. And I'm going to put light gravy on the mashed potatoes that I'm eating with the fried chicken. You with me? That's what's going to happen to me at at the buffet. That's the problem number one. Problem two is is purely practical. Because although I'm not Dutch, I'm wannabe. I I really am a cheap guy. I want to be a Dutch guy. And here's the problem. I just made a little pie chart, all right? Uh, No pun intended. If the buffet is $10, then one plate is $10. But four plates are only $2.50 apiece. Are you following me? This is value we're talking about. And when I get in a situation like this, I ask myself, WWDD, what would Dave Ramsey do? And I try to get the most value out of whatever I can do. Amen? Amen. So you don't get the little cups for ice cream that they put by the ice cream. You go to the soup bowls and you bring them back. Come on, shout out at me. You know you do it too. You do it. So I'm going to get the most out of it. And that's my problem with the buffet is that I, you know, I just can't choose the good food over the bad food. And man, I mean, it, there's just so much there. It's just, I got to be practical about it. The problem with the buffet idea is that uh, Kyle says, you know, I think a lot of Christians have got the spiritual buffet idea of religion these days. We start off with a little bit of Jesus. Most of us started off, at least in this area, with some form of Jesus, some religious training of Jesus. You know, a little salad bar, a little honey mustard dressing. We like the forgiveness and the love and the peace and the acceptance of others and all that and the great teaching. But then we start to get to know Jesus and there's some harder stuff that Jesus says. And it looks like broccoli, you know? 
And I'm just going to pass on that, right? So I'm going to go over to the Buddhism bar, and I'm going to get a little food over there and put that on my plate. And my friend read this New Age book, and they said it really helped them. So I'm going to put a little of that on my plate from this bar over here. And I've heard some weird stuff about Scientology, you know, but there's so many movie stars in that. I might explore that for a little bit. And I heard something on The View the other day, so I'm going to, you know, put that on my plate. And all of a sudden, we've got this plate full of stuff from everywhere. The problem is that God isn't a meal. As we went through the story last year, we, we over and over again in the Old Testament, God would say, hey, what are you doing? It's not, it's not an either-or situation. No other gods before me. This is about a relationship with me. And when you're not in relationship with me, you're being unfaithful. As a matter of fact, we just did this in Hosea. You're, you're being, you're being, he used graphic terms, graphic language to describe the unfaithfulness of these people as they kept running off. Because you can't choose all of these things. It's like, what part of no other gods before me don't you understand that's the whole old testament the religious buffet is closed so finally god shut everything down stop talking to the prophets shut stop doing anything in people's lives visibly for 400 years and then when the time was fully right the bible says god sent his son jesus into the world his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life at some point most of you have heard that verse before right but by this time, the religious smorgasbord was unbelievable. You studied Roman and Greek mythology at some point in your childhood. That's all going on there too. So you got all, you not only got Baal and all those gods from the Old Testament, now you've got, you know, you got a Greek god and a Roman god that are the same god, but they're different names. And you got, I mean, you got these people all over the place. And it's into this buffet of religion that Jesus shows up. And He says, hey, I'm not a religion. God's not a religion. I'm His representative. I'm from God. I am God. And He did miracles to prove He was God. And He spoke with authority and wisdom to prove He was God. And He loved like only God could. And He said, if you want to see God, all you've got to do is look at Me. And the problem was that most people reacted like it was broccoli. You know, it was like, oh, no thanks, I'm going I'm to pass on that. But Jesus said, no, you don't understand. There's not other options. This isn't a buffet. There's really only one option, and I'm it. And people don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to not have choices, so they killed him. That's the essence of the story of the gospel. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in John 14. If you don't, I'll put it on the screen. Here's, here's what Jesus, Jesus is having a discussion because he's getting ready to go back to heaven. He's getting ready to be crucified. He knows this, and he doesn't want his people freaked out. He doesn't want his disciples to be freaked out. So he says, look. You know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Chill. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I mean, I read that verse in almost every funeral that I end up being a part of. Because I think it's one of the most comforting things Jesus could have said. I'm going to another place. And you're coming to another place. And I'm preparing that place for you. And, and if he, you know, could create this earth... Imagine what he's got waiting for us in heaven with no sin around at all. And that, it, it, this is the words that he's giving. But okay, there's always a practical guy in the group, right? 
There's always, there's always somebody who's like, well, wait a minute, let me, let me get all this down. And Thomas is the practical guy. And Thomas says, well, Lord, I, I, I don't know where we're going. Thomas is like, you know, I, I put it into Siri, and Siri said, I'm sorry, I can't help you with directions to heaven right now. And I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. I can't find it. So, so he says, well, Lord, how do we get to that place where there are many rooms? I, I need to know this. And Jesus says, uh, look, Thomas, there, there, there are two ways to get somewhere. You can either have the directions to get there, or you can follow somebody to get there. All you need to do is follow me, because I am the way. One of the most controversial statements Jesus makes, I am the way and the truth and the life. You don't have to worry about where you're going. All you've got to do is follow me. Now, notice what he doesn't say. This is really important. He doesn't say, just follow me, I know the way. He doesn't say, just follow me, I'll show you the way. He doesn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. And just in case there's any confusion over it, the very next verse, he goes on and says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's one of the most controversial statements, again, that Jesus could have possibly said. Because what he's saying is, I'm it. I'm the way. All these other religions, they're all not going to get you to the right destination. I'm it. And in case you think, well, maybe John heard him wrong, there's another verse where he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. And there's all kinds of verses that say that Jesus says that he was God, that he is the way, that he is the only way, the way to get to heaven, the way to get to God. And Peter must have understood it because when Peter gets up to start the church in Acts chapter 4, he preaches this message. Hey, guess what? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. None other. Now, I know your question is going to be this. Your question is going to be, well, wait a minute. What if you haven't heard of Jesus? And I, I love that question because I don't have the answer to it either. You know, what about the Australian Aborigines? I don't know. Romans 1, I believe as I read Romans 1, tells me that there's going to be a judgment that's going to be based on the knowledge that we have, the available knowledge that we have. I don't believe the Australian Aborigines that never heard about Jesus are going to, are, are going to be judged the way the rest of us are. But it doesn't really matter because you're not, well, you might be on the Internet, but you're probably not an Australian Aborigine that has never heard about Jesus. And if you've never heard about Jesus, I'm going to tell you about him right now. For most of, the, most of us, we've heard about Jesus. We're all here at the same place. So let's just talk about this part. There are two primary reasons why people don't like this claim that Jesus is the only way to God. The first one is this. It seems exclusive, doesn't it? I mean, it seems exclusive. I mean, it's like uh, uh, the only way. I mean, really. I mean, Lee Strobel talks about this in his book. Again, you're not going to want to miss this. You're not going to want to miss what Lee has to say. But he talks about this in his book, uh, The Case for Christ. He says, he says, listen, the deal with this is we, under the Constitution, protect all religious rights. And that's the way that it ought to be. We have freedom of religion. You can, you can, you know, worship a mushroom if you want to. You have the freedom to be able to do that in the United States of America. But the problem with us in America is that sometimes we think because everything is equally protected that it's equally valid. And that not only isn't true, it can't possibly be true. Ravi Zacharias says it this way, truth by definition excludes that which contradicts it. It excludes that which contradicts it. 
If it's true, every religion is exclusive. That's what they say. I mean, the, the basic tenet of Islam is what? First pillar is there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Can you be Muslim and not believe in Allah of the Quran and Muhammad as his prophet? Well, I mean, you could try, but it doesn't make much sense because that's not what's going to happen. Buddhism has an eightfold path to enlightenment. I don't know if you know that or not, but if you want to be enlightened, there's an eightfold path. Could you go into a Buddhist temple and go, you know what, I'm not down with all eight. Could I be like a five-eighths Buddhist? No, you can't. You're not going to get enlightened that way. There's truth and there's not truth. That's all there is to it. Truth is, the Bears cannot lose this weekend. <laughs> That's truth. In case you ladies don't know why we're laughing, it's because they're not playing. That's why they can't lose this weekend. Okay, yeah, somebody just got it back there. Okay? They can't lose this weekend. But if I stand up and I say, the Broncos can't lose this weekend, most of you are going to go, well, yeah, that's probably true too because they're playing the Jaguars and it's the biggest point spread in NFL history. All right? Wow. I mean, the worst team ever versus probably one of the best teams ever and it's crazy, right? But that statement isn't, isn't truth until after it happens because crazy things could happen. That statement is opinion. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is not exclusive. Jesus is not exclusive. He's true. Christianity is not exclusive because it's open to everyone. Have you ever heard of a country club that it, anybody can be a member of for free? I mean, do you even call it a country club at that point? You sure wouldn't call it an exclusive one. There are two times in the New Testament where Paul and Peter quote the Old Testament prophet, Joel, who says, everyone who call who? Say that with me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Say that again. Everyone. Okay? It doesn't matter who. Everyone. Does that sound exclusive to you? It's not exclusive. It's open to everyone. Alright? So that's number one. The second problem people have is it seems arrogant. It seems arrogant. Other people say this, you know, I have a hard time, you know, I have a hard time with this discussion about Jesus because it feels like my way is better than somebody else's way. And I totally, totally understand that if there was another way. But what if there's not another way? I mean, if there's another way and you say my way is the best, then that's arrogant. I have to fly to Denver this afternoon. I'm flying on Southwest because I'm cheap. You could say, well, I'm flying to Denver this week. And I'm flying on United. And United is the only way. I would say, well, that's not true. Because there are other airlines that fly to Denver. And you could say, well, United is the best way. And I would say, well, that's your opinion. And that sounds kind of arrogant. Okay? I did, maybe you're right, but that seems arrogant. And either way, it doesn't make any sense because there are other ways to get there. But if I were to tell you I was flying to Marathon, Florida this week... And I said, United is the only way to get to Marathon, Florida. You could not say that that was arrogant or exclusive or untrue because unless you have a private plane, United is the only airline that flies into Marathon, Florida. And they will rip you off for it. So just fly into Miami and rent a car, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. That's the problem, right? That's the difference with truth. If I go to the gate agent today and I say, hey, guess what? I'm going to Nashville and I give them my boarding pass for Denver. You heard about the kid that snuck on the plane this week, right? If I do that, if the gate agent says, well, have a nice time in Nashville and all of a sudden I'm flying in and I see mountains, that's not very cool, is it? If there is a way to get somewhere and there is only one way to get to that place, 
I need to follow that way. If I'm up on my roof cleaning the leaves out of the gutter and I just say, you know what? I don't believe in the law of gravity anymore. I'm sick and tired of the law of gravity. And I step off the edge of my roof. Will I float down to the ground with my little umbrella like Mary Poppins? Or will I sink to the ground at 32 feet per second? Yeah. There's a bumper sticker that says gravity. It's the law. I mean, you just have to deal with it, okay? There's truth and there's not truth. It doesn't matter what you believe or not. There's truth and there's not truth. And we want to help you with this. We have a, a what we believe class that will get you started. We have a bunch of ways to be able to help you along the way. What we believe class is our next step class, and I'd love for you to come. October 20th is, uh, is the next one at the Orland campus on Sunday, 23rd at Lockport. Come out and join us. Be a part of that because it'd be a good way for you to understand. But let me, let me put everything together for you as succinctly as I can. Again, it's my friend Kyle's idea on how to pull this all together. He says there are four basic approaches to how you can approach the meal. All right. Approach number one is the one I talked about. It's the get a little bit of everything and hope you get the right stuff. Theologian Sarah Michelle Geller said it this way. <laughs> I consider myself a spiritual person. I believe in the idea of God, although it's my own personal idea. I find that most religions are interesting, and I've been to every kind of denomination, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, and Buddhist, and I've taken bits and pieces of everything and I've customized it. That's what we call the Buffy the Vampire Slayer theology, okay? You can follow that if you want to. Take a little bit of everything and see if it works for you. That's one approach. The second approach is I go for dessert first. I go for dessert first. And sometimes, you know, you, 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 you just really need a sugar rush. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you're just like, man, I'm skipping dinner. I'm just going to get the double fudge chocolate brownie with, you know, a la mode because I, I, I'm, just, I'm just really wanting dessert. Now I ask you, what, what I'm saying is that that approach is about pleasure. That approach is about I'm going to do what's right for me. Approach number one is about I'm going to get a little bit of everything and hope I get something that's right. Approach number two is I'm not going to worry about any theological system and I'm going to do what feels good to me. Now, what happens, however, when you skip a meal and just eat dessert is that when pleasure is your religion is that, you know, it doesn't fill you up for very long and pretty soon you're hungry again. And when that sugar high comes crashing down, you feel worse than you did you know, before you ate it. So that's not a very good approach. The third approach is the one we got to camp on for a second, and that is I'm going to try to eat right. This is every theological system on the planet except for Christianity. This is this is I'm going to go to the bu I'm going to go to the old country buffet. I'm going to go to the buffet and I'm only going to eat the stuff that's good for me. Some of you are disciplined enough to kind of do that. Never mind that the vegetables are cooked in a ton of butter, you know, and salt. But but you're going to go and you're going to get the grilled chicken and the and the vegetables and you're going to skip the soup bowl of ice cream. And you're going to try to do that. The problem is with the do it yourself religion is that eventually if all if you go to that extreme every time you're going to break down and eventually you're not going to be good enough and this is where christianity is different than every other religion every other religion says just eat your vegetables just do the right thing just pray five times a day facing the right direction just fast just do your prayer wheel just go on your pilgrimage eat certain foods don't eat certain foods observe holiday holy days and that will get you into favor with God and you will be okay. That's the problem. Okay. Now the problem, the bigger problem for me is as a pastor, that's how some of you 
grew up with Christianity. And so did I. I mean, we grew up thinking, you know, if we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, and we do all the right things, and we do, you know, make God happy, then when we get to the end, we're going to be okay. And, and, and right, you go ask the average person on the street, and you say, hey, how are you going to get to heaven? They're going to say, well, I believe in God, and I believe that God is going to look down at my life, and I've done more good things than bad things, so somehow all I need is like a 51 on my test, right? And, and I'm going to be okay when I get to heaven. And that would be great, again, if that was a way to get to heaven. The problem is that, you know what, that doesn't work either. You know, if you see your faith as eating your vegetables, you're never ever going to be good enough. That's the problem. And here's the deal. Some of, you are, some of you are listening to me on the net right now. Some of you maybe even in this room. You grew up with somebody forcing Christianity down your throat. And, and it felt like, eating your vegetables and doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. And you told yourself, when I grow up, I am not eating Brussels sprouts ever again. Am I right? And I get that. If God wanted us to eat Brussels sprouts, He wouldn't have made them taste like a dirty sock in the bottom of the hamper. That's my own problem. You could put bacon on those suckers and they still don't taste good. I get that. And if that was your view of if that was your view of religion growing up and you thought, you know what, when I get old enough, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm not dealing with this anymore, it's probably because you never really fully grasped the idea of Christianity in the first place. You never really got it that it's not about eating your vegetables. Because the truth of the matter is, if you break one little uh, law, you are guilty. I mean, police officers, law enforcement people in the room, if somebody goes off and they, they break one law and they get caught, which you can't not get caught because God is everywhere, if you break one law and you get caught and you don't show up for court and you just run away, you're on a, you're on a list. You're on a wanted list, right? You, you can't just break one law and think it's no big deal. And the Bible says that if we break one of God's laws, we've broken all of the laws. And the wages of sin is death. That's the problem. And if eating your vegetables was the way to get to heaven, Jesus would have said, great, That's, this is wonderful, eat your vegetables. But it's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. That's why when Jesus came down, He purposely broke some of the Pharisees' laws that they had made up because they were trying to eat their vegetable way into heaven. Because he says, this is not what it's about. Your vegetables are still good. God, you know, you, but you, could, you could tithe, you could go to church, you could tell people about Jesus, you could do all those things that you were taught growing up that you ought to be doing. Those are good things, but they're not going to get you into heaven. Because why would Jesus have had to come in the first place if that would have worked? Matter of fact, there's a story. Here, here's my proof. There's a story in Buddhist literature that is the same as the prodigal son story in Luke 15 that Jesus told. I mean, it starts out the same. The story of a, a prodigal boy who takes his inheritance from his father, goes off and wastes it in the city, runs out of money, runs out of friends when he runs out of money, decides instead of having this crummy job in the city, feeding pigs or whatever it is, I'm going to go back home because my dad is a fair person. And, and even though my dad will be really angry at me, he will probably at least allow me to come back and be his slave and be his servant. And I'd rather work for my dad and pay back my debt than work for this guy. Same exact story. Except in Buddhism, when the young man gets home, 
the father welcomes him home and says, I'm glad you're here. And now you will be my slave for the rest of your life and work off the debt that you have paid. Because that is, that's karma, that's Buddhism, right? That, that's that whole other religious system is, I'm going to eat my vegetables, I'm going to make up for the mistakes that I've made, like somehow I can do that. In Jesus' story, when the prodigal son comes home, he's getting ready to make the same speech and say, Father, I've sinned against you and I'm going to work it off and I want to be your slave. And the father puts his hand over the boy's mouth and doesn't let him say a thing and throws a robe on him and gives him a big hug and has the biggest party they've ever had in their family. And when the older brother complains about it, he says, Hey, how could I do anything else? My son was lost and now he's found. That those two things are the essence of the difference between Christianity and every other religion. That God loves you and that He wants you back home, period. And that it's not about payback. That it's about how you can love Jesus because He paid for your sins. It's a crazy sermon, but this is from Bono, lead singer of U2. But this one you're going to like. This is one of, I mean, Bruce Almighty and Bono are two of the best explanations of God and Jesus I've heard. All right? Listen to this. The thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference. This is Bono talking to an interviewer. The thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. What you put out comes back to you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In physics, it's every, law, every action is met by an equal or opposite reaction. And it's clear to me that karma is at the heart of the universe. And I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea of grace. Again, this is Bono. Grace defies region and logic. Love interrupts you, like the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And I'd be in big trouble if karma was finally going to be my judge. See, the, the thing I love about this is that Bono's finally got to the point where he realizes that you can't pay for your sin. That if Paul said he was the chief of sinners, where are we? And there's no way I can get into a perfect heaven with the imperfect life that I live. It doesn't, love doesn't make mistakes. And I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. I love the idea of the sacrificial lamb. I love the idea that God says, look, you Cretans, there are certain results of the way you are, your selfishness. There's a mortality as a part of your very sinful nature. And let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? I mean, be honest. And there are consequences to your actions. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that we would put not, so that what we put out did not come back to us. That there is no more karma. And that our sinful nature does not reap obvious death. That is the point. And it should keep us humble. It is not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. Interviewer says, well, that's a great idea, but. I'm still having trouble with this Jesus being the Son of God thing. It's far-fetched. Bono says, no, it's not far-fetched at all. The secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. Jesus was a great prophet, very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets like Elijah and Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius. Bono says, but Christ doesn't allow you to do that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not a prophet. I'm saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 please just be a teacher, be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. 
But we've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But please don't mention the M word, the Messiah word, because you know, then we'll have to kill you. And he goes, no, no, I I know you don't get this, but I actually am the Messiah. And at this point, everyone starts looking at their shoes and saying, oh man, he's going to keep saying this. And so they kill him. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or he was a complete nutcase. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's the best explanation I've seen in a long time, which leads me to the fourth idea, and that is to leave the buffet and go to Jesus' house for dinner. That's what Christianity is all about. Listen to my friend Gary Brooke tell you about it. You're going to hell. I can still remember that conversation. So I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood. Being Jewish, it was difficult because I was told that if I didn't believe in Jesus, I was going to hell. Now, I was an eight-year-old kid, and I'm thinking, if there's this Jesus guy who wants to send an eight-year-old kid to hell, I didn't want any part of him. So growing up, you know, it was interesting. People had different things. Some people believed in Jesus. Other people didn't. Um, I thought, as long as you were trying to be a decent person, then you were, you were kind of in. You were in. I didn't know exactly how that worked, but I kind of felt I was doing the best I could, and that was good enough to get me in. The thing that got me started at trying to figure out who Jesus was, I was at lunch with a friend of mine, and he brought up about how he is, was listening to this pastor, and he had all this great information. And as soon as he said that, I said, do you really listen to that garbage? And as soon as I said that, I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, ooh, that probably wasn't a really good thing to say. So I said, you know, this is, I think it's about time. I've had enough of people talking about Jesus and who Jesus is. And, I, you know, I was kind of going to find out for myself and try to prove all these people wrong about them saying that Jesus was God and I was going to prove them wrong. Shortly thereafter, my wife said, hey, you need to come to church with me because they're going to have a marriage series. And if there's something going on there that might change the way I feel about marriage, I want you to be there so you can hear it as well. I'm like, "Ah, okay, I'll go, but I'm not going to sing. There's no way I'm going to sing. So I ended up going with my wife to Parkview. And again, you know, it was this great insight into the marriage thing and Every, and, and sure enough, at the end, you know, again, it's, you know, it's all about Jesus and how Jesus is helping you in your life and you can have this personal relationship. And again, I just, I just wasn't quite there. My wife brought home this book, which she was going to read on her own, which was The Case for Christ. It's actually the student edition, so it was nice and small. And I saw it on the bed one night. I'm like, oh, I got to read this. And sure enough, I read that thing. She went out for the evening and I read that thing in one night. So when she came home, I'm like, hey, can I borrow your Bible? And I think she, she looked at me and I think her jaw dropped. And she's like, uh, yeah, sure. Cause she didn't, <laughs> I know, I, I could tell she didn't want to like ask what's going on, but she gave me the Bible. And sure enough, I started looking up passages that Lee Strobel had talked about in his book. And sure enough, it was there. The, the talk about the Messiah coming and so many factors that were there that only Jesus could 
fulfill that position and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks it was like he really is god he really is the messiah i had to think to myself could i have really been wrong all these years is christ truly who he says he is and he's god i mean that that was such a staggering moment for me i had a it, it took a couple days to sink in just for that amazing revelation for me i asked my wife i'm like I need to get baptized. And she just looked at me like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I, I've done all this research and I've I finally come to the conclusion that yeah, Jesus is who he says he is. And um, she started crying and it, it was crazy. But um, th he said, you know, follow me and be baptized. So that's the first thing I wanted to do. Some people ask, is that the end of the story? And I say, no, it's really only the beginning because it's the beginning of a relationship. It's not the end of a relationship. I'm beginning to grow in Christ and to get to know him better. And I know he already knows me, but now it's a two-way street and I really enjoy that. There's two questions Jesus asks his followers. Um, he gets in Luke 9, there's a, there's a place where Jesus gathers them, gathers them all together at this place where they used to sacrifice uh, you know, animals and, and even maybe babies to false gods back in the day at this place that I've been in Israel. And, 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 and Jesus sits down and he says, okay, two questions. Who do they say that I am? And they all talked about it for a little while, you know. Well, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're, you know, some say you're this good teacher, whatever. That, that's an interesting question. And then he turns it back around. And he says, "Now, who do you say that I am?" And Peter spoke up. He was the first one to speak. A lot of times that was foot in his mouth, but this time he had the answer. And he said, "You are." The Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And when he said Christ, what he meant by that was you are the Messiah. You are the one who's been foretold. You are the Son of God. You are the interpretation of God on this earth. You are the anointed one who is going to save us from our sins. And I believe that. And Jesus said, that's the right answer. i got to ask you those two questions. Who do people say that he is? It's interesting. But who do you say that he is, is the one that's really important, you guys. That's, that's what really makes a difference. Is Christianity arrogant? No. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works so that anyone could boast. How could you boast? Christianity is in essence saying, I am not very good. I stink. I need a savior. That's, that's humility. That's not arrogance. We talked about that already. Is it exclusive? No, Second Peter says the Lord really isn't slow about keeping His promise. He is patient. He does not want anyone to perish. He's giving more time for everyone to repent. And remember that the Lord is waiting so that more people will have the time to be saved. That's why He's not come back yet. That's why it's been 2,000 years. And the classic verse is John 3.16, that God loved the world so much that whoever, anybody, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who follows Him will be saved. And the next verse says... And God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's not exclusive. That's not arrogant. It's, it's just the truth. And it's just that simple. And His mission statement was, I have come to seek and save the lost. 
And we're all lost, so that's good news. If you happen to be at my funeral and I'm laying here in the casket, you should be crying for yourself, not me. Because I will have Jesus. And everything will be made right. And not because I'm a good guy. Because just, there's just no way that could possibly work. It's because of Jesus. That's all there is to it. One more Kyle Eidemann quote. He said, let's imagine that our prayers are answered. And it's announced this week that there's a cure for cancer. And it's actually a drug. And you only have to take it once and it has no side effects. And it's proven to be 100% effective. The government's going to pay for this and it's going to be free to everyone. Now, would you, if you had cancer, would you complain to your doctor and say, wait a second, you telling me there's only one drug option for me to be cured from cancer? No, of course not. You would just be thrilled that there was a cure. The point is not that there is only one option. The point is that there is an option. There's a disease called sin, and we've all got it, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. He has given us a way to be saved. And we have to take it. Because if there was another way, what kind of a sick God would He be that He would allow His Son to die on the cross for my sins if there was a way for me to handle it on my own? The last thing Jesus prays before He goes to the cross was, Lord, if it is possible, Father, if it is possible, please take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. If it's possible, if there's another way, then let's just, let's just skip this part. And God says, there's not any other way. That's why you're here. That's the difference between grace and karma. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. So what's your job? Say thank you. Your job is to accept it. Your job is to commune with Him right now. Have dinner. Jesus, as we pray right now and get ready for communion, we're so thankful for grace. I'm so thankful for that day that I really look forward to when I'm going to be gone from this earth and be where everything is perfect. My life is good here on this earth, Lord. You've blessed me in so many ways, but I can't wait to be with you. Give me Jesus. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be there. And I also know without a shadow of a doubt that it doesn't have anything to do with me or how many vegetables I've eaten. It has to do with the fact that you gave us a magic pill to cure us from everything. And it was your death burial and resurrection on the cross and all I need to do is accept it and if there are people in here that need to accept you today Lord let them just open up their hearts and say Jesus I I want you to be my savior I want you to come in I I accept I take the prescription I will I will follow you because I know I'm not good enough and if there are people who've been gone for a long time because they were forced to eat their vegetables when they were young and they didn't want to do it when they grew up, would you help them to understand that this isn't Buddhism? This isn't karma. This isn't about working off their sins. This is about grace. And sure, we're supposed to love our neighbor. And sure, we're supposed to give and be generous. And sure, we're supposed to, we're supposed to do the things that you've asked us to do. But, but those are good for us. And you know they're good for us. And so you want us to eat them. 
but you're not going to force them down our throat and you're not going to base our eternal judgment on whether we have a 51% on our test or not. And if there are people in here like me who just needed a reminder today of how awesome Jesus is, thank you. Be with us as we commune in Jesus' name. Amen.